I'm Barry Worthington. I'm Charlie Keegan. I'm Paul Thorpe. And this is the Progress with Unity podcast. Well, I don't think any of us got the, the prediction correct for Saturday, did we? I think possibly Pete came closest with two apiece, but with the rest of us, my goodness, that was a bit of a surprise. I didn't change my prediction on the day because I think the last podcast that we did, I said 3-1. And then I went onto the Bristol podcast to talk through it there. And I'd heard about the illness in camp and I thought maybe it'll be a 2-2. I'm not so confident on a 3-1 now. But yeah, obviously, clearly we were all a bit <laughs> very wrong. Bit of a wake-up call, wasn't it? It was. Bristol Rovers 4, Wigan Athletic 1. Quick look at the stats. Pretty easy. Even really possession 50% to both teams attempts, but they had more attempts. So it was 15 to over nine. They hit the target six times to over three corners, three to five in our favor. A bit of a surprise. We committed more fouls. Nasty, nasty Wigan Athletic. 15 to 12. Attacking passes. Well, this is where I think Bristol Rovers dominated. 146 attacking passes to our 116. Pass completion rate. Both eggs are the same on 85%. Yellow cards. They won that one, even though we were more dirty. They picked three up. We picked two with Reckick and White getting in the referee's notebook. And... 8,161 attendance with, I think we more or less sold out our, our allocation, didn't we? The uh, extra 150 we got on the day before, so a good turnout there. Right then, how do we oh. dissect this? I mean, these things happen in football. It's a nice wake-up call, really. I think we're swanning around a little bit thinking we're, we're the bee's knees. Maybe in the long run, this defeat will do us good. You know, there's, there's a number of circumstances that surround it. Illness in the camp, unrest in the camp from things that will come on to that could potentially be um, mitigating circumstances. But like you say, if if you use this as a wake-up call, you, you come in, you put a good performance sat in in the next few games, then it's worth because it, it, it puts you back on the straight and narrow. We can go back to the starting lineup as well and just what Maloney announced. Omar Rekic at left back, I do like him. And I think that as a... As a centre-back, he will be very good for us. I struggle a little bit with him starting at left-back. I understand if you want to bring him on towards the end of the game to kind of strengthen a bit more, but we knew going into the game that Bristol's biggest attacking threat, all their goals so far before the game, all came inside the penalty area. But equally, all the goals that they'd conceded throughout the season so far all came within their own penalty area. So that's where we were really going to be the most dangerous. So I don't understand starting Rekic over Pierce. Maybe we would have brought a different attacking threat in the first half and not been as lethargic because I think that's ultimately what we were straight from the off we were completely lethargic very naive thinking that we were going to have an easy first half against Bristol Rovers and I'm not singling out Reckick as the only one there there was a lot that I thought I wasn't sure on the starting lineup and obviously we can talk about the Stephen Humphreys omission from it as well and, and playing Lang over him I'm just not sure I think that starting lineup kind of set us up in a different way that I wasn't very happy with I thought defensively we were shocking all over the place and I'm not just talking about the back four here I'm talking defending from the front all the way through the team midfield where we didn't win any battles I thought it was very messy at the back uh, they weren't picking the men up. The clearances were not very good. Misplaced clearances. I think first goal was it? Was it the first goal that came from a, a, a poor clearance? Yeah, a lot of them sort of came from poor clearances. Yeah. But even 
on the starting lineup as well. The omission of Liam Shaw was one that shocked me. You had him on media duties up for the week. I know it was against Leicester in the 21s, but he put, put up a great performance there. Got 90 minutes. And I thought that he was at least going to be involved. And he's very tall centre midfielder, somebody that I think would be able to fight for a lot of the balls, not only in the air, but we've seen what he can do on the ground as well. So for him not to be included, I thought was a bit strange. A lot of the lost battles and that first goal, I could kind of sense it was coming because we were just allowing the pressure and allowing them to get in spaces that we should never be allowing any opposition to get it to especially not Bristol Rovers because that front four I thought started with so much energy and they were zipping the ball not only through the centre but if then Charlie Hughes or Morrison came out to them they were finding somebody on the wing straight away whether it be Collins or whoever playing on the other side was it Luke Thomas was playing on the other side always in space Talking there about Shaw I sympathise with Maloney a little bit because he's had no pre-season and he played he played 90 minutes on Tuesday, which was his first 90 minutes. And then the travelling down on Friday, it doesn't give him much recovery time. I mean, that might have all been behind his thinking. Johnny Smith as well, who, who played well, he played really well Tuesday. Those bursts of, of energy and pace that he put in, you know, you, you thought could there have been a spot on the bench for him. But again, he was excluded from, from the squad. So fitness issues. I mean, you do sympathise with Maloney though, because he's got to manage these players and we don't want them breaking down, doing, being out for, for a few weeks again, as just as they're coming back. Yeah, one thing you've got to bear in mind is you're talking about the players that had good games against the under-21s of Leicester. But then you're talking about the good players that had good games against Cambridge. And you're thinking, was anybody that good against Leicester that the people who had a good game against Cambridge deserve to lose their place for somebody else to come in? Everybody that tries to force themselves into the team, they've got to force somebody else out. And I don't think anybody was bad enough against Cambridge to be forced out. That's the, the difference. Now, I think you'll find that Saturday there might be one or two changes because there are people that didn't do enough on yesterday to, to retain the place. I don't think we should get carried away with this though <laughs> as well you know because like keep your feet on the ground when you beat Bolton away 4-0 keep your feet on the ground when you lose at Bristol Rovers 4-1 this is our squad this is the nature of our squad we're, we're a very young team got a lot of inexperienced lads throughout the side been brought together recently we're perhaps not as good as what a lot of people think we are but by the same token we're not as poor as what a lot of people were saying we were last night either I do think as well I know obviously we'll get on to Maloney's post-match later but he was saying that the first half was a real problem for us but we still had our chances like no matter who the selection was they, they were still getting in good positions and obviously I think the first one we can we can really talk about was Taylor Asgard's miss where Sean Clare won it back on halfway Charlie White drew uh, turned around put it on 2v2 put it onto Asgard's left and I'm thinking there that's got to hit the target and obviously it didn't it dragged it wide but if that would have hit on target it would have been seven shots for us in the first half with four on target and said it was three they still definitely had chances it's just obviously very disappointing once they got the first goal and then we're, we're trying to fight back into it that effort though he's hit it with his left to go across he was on his left and he's hit it to, to try and go across the keeper into the far post maybe he's right footed maybe just flicking inside and, and rally it at the near post I mean sometimes that catches the keepers out doesn't it you know there's, there's a lot of excellent strikers fire goals in at the, at the near post rather than going across the keeper and he's got a, a, a zinger of a shot on him as well he could have got his right behind it he could have belted that if if that goes in I've heard it said it's a different game but is it a different game is it really because we, was, we went a goal down and then pulled it back straight away and uh, and they just stepped the game up and with no answer to it I mean you're talking about it's a little bit of lethargy there as well, Charlie, in the team. Um, that second goal of theirs, that's just 
sh- shocking coming back. You know, there was there were people just plodding back into into defence, and he's thinking, "What's going?" On? I mean, we cleared the ball. You, you'd expect the line to have dropped, but it didn't. You know, you watch it back on replay. You can see him just coming into the frame. Are you thinking, what's going on here? Let's get back. And Mullen talks about that. They need to be sprinting back into position. Yeah, and they were just happy to test us from long range as well. Every now and then they would hit a hit a long range shot, try and force Tickle into something. And when we scramble into then try and get away. The one thing that bothered me about Tickle yesterday, everything seemed to be a parry. It was never really catching anything. And I don't know if that's because there was too much pace on it or if it was lacking in confidence or, or what, but it just wasn't catching the balls and I think there was a couple of times where we could have got out of trouble if it had just put a hand on it or, or parried it to a better position but it was yeah the second wave of attacks or third wave of attacks at some occasions from Bristol we just were not dealing with it so you couldn't really argue with the going 2-1 down because nobody was picking up Jack Hunt at that far post it's weird isn't it because we were talking about against Leicester how so many people came in and so many people had good performances and then we get the opposite yesterday I think it sums it up on where you've written on the agenda Barry performances yikes <laughs> I think that just sums it up I mean, I mean it's crazy isn't it and we sit you know we commented it against Leicester and we've mentioned it before over the years how one bad performance of one player seems to generate bad performances around them for other players and you, you you tend to get a few have a stinker at once rather than just one person has an off game and the rest carry them through. Yeah, I was just thinking there while you were talking about that because I love Barbara Deco. He's going to be a special player, but he's here you know, for your setter straight to one of the players. I think they did they score off that goal? Was that the goal where they scored at the far post? I had the sort of second wave of attack to, to get it into my box. And I think, yeah, it was that second yeah. goal where they put it out left then and Aaron Collins Jack crossed Hunt. it over to the far post. Jack Hunt's goal. And it looked like Tittle might have clawed it from behind the line or on the line. I mean, there's no goal line technology, is there, in League One? So you're open to the referee and the, the assistant getting it right. Liam Morrison was adamant, but I'd have been adamant as well. He sank across the line if I was defending, you know, like you like you would be. It was very poor, that. And that's the one where I'm talking about on the highlights you can see in the frame people just jogging back into position where they should have been back pausing down ready for that that was a very poor goal very poor goal to concede there was five goals scored and none of them was what you call a good goal even our goal they'd be bitterly disappointed with Charlie Wax I'm sure they would I mean great work by uh, Marshall Goddard for me yesterday he was the only one who was playing with any sort of invention in his game he turned that defender inside out and say he'd come back in on his right but then went down and crossed it with his left great crossing to the middle was it a foul on the keeper debatable as, as Charlie Wine went up for the ball but still they shouldn't they had had two or three opportunities to clear the ball and it ended up with a, that shot of, of Sean Clurs which was more of a back pass really and, and then Charlie White just stuck his foot on it and it's in the back of the net that was an awful goal for them but brilliant for us and you, I think you thought at that point well I did come on that, that could be the spur that guy was going well, that's where I thought we saw Marshall Godot do that with Asgard's goal when he scored last time and very similar thing turned the defender inside out that time he drilled it across the across the ground but this time obviously looped it across but yeah like you said the, they had two or three chances there to get rid of it and it's it's a fortunate goal which I really thought the referee was going to blow up for maybe he was playing an advantage after Charlie White he ran into the keeper there was a collision I, I don't know whose fault it really was but usually you see them blown and then when I thought if Bristol would have run away with the ball maybe the ref would have played an advantage but I was surprised that when we scored he just let it go obviously you can't argue with them it's it's a, a cheap goal for them to concede but obviously a very fortunate one that, that we're just going to take but yeah I thought that was going to be the moment where we really turned it around settled in a little bit got our bearings right and then 
went again. And I thought that Godot was going to be the real person to do that because that left-hand side, he was chasing down everything. And I thought that the scoreline is very unfair on a player like Marshall Godot, who really, really gave energy from the start. Then Jack Hunt gets his goal, what we, just, what we dissected earlier on. Just five minutes later, you know, we didn't even we didn't even close the game down, did we? Bang. And uh, they're back in front again. It puts all that hard work to get yourself level. Not in the bin. You, you definitely have a mental downer having put a lot of effort in to get level. You think, you're right, let's try and get a bit more of a footing in the game. And then suddenly you're behind again. And and it's like, oh, bugger. It's, 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 it's not good. And I, I think from that point, it takes an enormous lift. And it's learning, isn't it, for a young side to figure out how to do that multiple times in a game. Games like that are where I think we missed James. James McLean, not for anything other than his attitude and what he can teach the, the kids around him. Yeah, there we go. Not to be. Maloney, you reacted. He said he felt we were very lucky to go in 2-1 down at half-time. It could have been more. And he reacted by making a substitution. You spoke at the beginning, Charlie, about the fact that Reckitt was playing at left-back and you thought, Tom Pierce and Tom Pierce came on at half-time. Did it make any difference? I said at half-time it was still going to be a risk, but I think it's one that needed to be taken because Rekic was already on a booking. You can't really go and play Rekic on a booking for a full 45 minutes. We saw last season that it can lose his head at, at times and he's always prone to a, another booking. So I thought it was smart to take him off. I wondered if it was going to be Kel Watts who's going to come on in replacement. Maybe we were going to shift to a a back three, play Sean Clare a little bit higher and try and go at them. Marshall Goda was kind of a left wing back. That's what I thought we were going to do. You know, it was Tom Pace that came on and then 53 minutes go by and Bristol get a third goal. And I think that the real problem in that is understanding where the line is between being a team that is happy to play out from the back, which Maloney obviously wants to do, and then thinking, yeah, Alisson, Van Dijk and Matip. And I think that that's where the lines got a little bit blurred yesterday because they were putting tickle under some pressure with Morrison and Hughes just trying to play it around the back and then Tickle eventually just ran out of options of what he could do with it. Tried to clear it up front, uh, tried to clear it up field, sorry. And then it only reached a Bristol player and then all of a sudden, straight through the middle, Hughes and Morrison didn't get anywhere near close enough to Collins that they should have done and 3-1. And then all of a sudden, you've just made your sub to try and get back in the game and you're, you're two goals down already. There's a bit of a shock of that one, weren't it? And the fourth one as well, Stephen Humphries had come on by the stage and he gave the ball away. Well, he passed to the player up upfield and then they broke. Uh, they knocked it out to our left or the right and they, they had an overlap of two players, but both of them were in acres of space and neither of them got closed down. And it was pick your spot time, weren't it? For It was like a free kick. Again, was it Jack Hunt who crossed the ball in? Yeah, and they went out to the, the right-hand side and then nobody yeah. getting close to him. And I'm, I'm yelling at the, at the stream and I'm just saying, somebody get to him. At least yeah. try and block the ball or stop the cross or something. And just but, far too much time. John Marquis has been scoring goals like that for 10 years. Six foot three, it was just made for him uh, in the back of the net. I know Tittle got beat at his near post, but, you know, sometimes going near post is the right option, as I mentioned with Telewasgard's effort in the first half. Just go near post if that's where you are. A lot of power in that header. Tittle's probably kissing himself up for uh, not keeping it out but 4-1 and to be honest with you I think it was perhaps a fair reflection of the game I think definitely and I think you could really tell that especially with how good Bristol's game plan were because as bad as Wigan were and as sort of naive and lethargic that the players were you could tell that Bristol had very very clear game plan they executed it pretty perfectly and you could tell how happy Joey Barton was to just stick with it because once they were 4-1 up, out of sight, on the 81st minute, that's when Barton made his first substitution. And then he made a double sub in the 82nd and then a double sub in the 88th. So you could tell how happy he was to just keep sticking with what was working. And all credit to Joey Barton. He 
he really needs to be doing better with Bristol Rovers this season because 17th last season wasn't good enough. And then this season, they're, they're aiming for top half or the playoffs. And I think they're inside that is definitely going to be on that path because I thought they were they were very, very good yesterday. I won't say they were incredible, but because we obviously let them let them kind of have that scoreline. But I think they were they were very, very good. They deserved it. The substitutions for us, Pierce came on at half-time for Rakic. Umphrey came on for Asgard on 55 minutes. McGuinness and Scott Smith for Lang and Clare on 65. And McManaman for Goro on 79. He didn't really have much of an impact. I think McManaman, when he came on, he brought a little bit of energy, did a, a nice... Interchange. I think it was with Matty Smith through the middle and he got brought down. But that was about it. As about as exciting as it got for us in the second half. After the game, Maloney said he was really disappointed with the first half. We were looking to go in 2-1. Nowhere near in terms of desire without the ball. And I totally agree with him there. But sometimes we are going to have to take a blow like this. You lose games, that's football, and we have to get used to it. But it doesn't make it any easier. I said, but as long as he gives 100% in every game, generally, he won't be too angry with the players. And then he finished off with, but when they don't, then I can't accept it. Is there a bit of a sting in the tail, though? Is, is he alluding to the fact that oh, he, he didn't get everything out of his players yesterday that he was hoping that they'd give? If most of the team looks off it, something not right, is there? You know, has, has something been said on the coach on the way down or anything like that? We know about Humphrey's not playing for non-footballing reasons. Has that had re- repercussions throughout the rest of the squad? Left them not quite in the right mental place? You know, you've just got to look at the performance and look at the score. And something's wrong, isn't it? That we can't and we can't accept it. One thing that you demand is hundred percent. Simple as that, really. I think it's difficult to say that players haven't put the effort in because you know the professional footballers they want to, they're playing for themselves as, as much as anything else. But there was definitely something amiss yesterday. And we might as well talk about the statement about Stevie Humphries late for a team meeting. So he's got disciplined. He was sanctioned by being dropped down to the substitutes bench. There's been a few people talking about it on Twitter. I've not really had too much of a look, but some saying oh he should been fine instead of that you know team comes first but it doesn't does it sanctions are in place for a, re- a reason they're a deterrent if he gets let off with coming late then other players start to, to come late and, and discipline goes through the floor so I'm, I'm pleased to see that some action was taken I mean we don't know the circumstances surrounding it but it's not just Wigan Athletic that have these things in place is it there was an high-profile case at Manchester United last season with Marcus Rashford oversleeping and missing a, a team meeting and, and getting dropped down to the bench. So, Maloney correct in doing what he did? I think so. I don't think you can really argue against it if you're going to be playing for a professional football club, professional football player, and you're going to be not doing what the manager's asking you to do. And there's no way that this is news to Stephen Humphreys. He would have known this before the start of the season, as would every player. Maloney would have gone through everything the probably going to be a, a whiteboard somewhere or some printout in the training ground that details if you leave the training ground a mess if you leave stuff in the dressing room you're going to get this fine we've seen it you know go around we saw it when Nick Powell made a I think he made a funny comment back when he was playing for us and he got a fine and he got written on the board it's nothing new and if you're going to be late to a team meeting there's going to be something that happens and I think that what he gets fined 500 quid and he still plays and it's, he brushes it off no you, you were late for a team meeting the team meetings are important. It's talking about the game. If you're not there, you're not going to start in the game. And I think that's, I think it's fair. But 
there's also been some rumblings on Twitter that players were coming off the coach and not talk, not going over to the Wigan fans and acknowledging them. A lot of players with headphones on. And I think that if you're going to be a professional footballer and you're going to walk past fans who are paying money to go and see you, take the headphones off, go and, go and see the fans, go and sign stuff for the kids, go and take pictures with whoever. You're not entitled to be able to walk past them with the headphones on. And if you're Josh McGuinness or Callum Lang or one of the coaches or the manager and you see a, a player doing that, give them a nudge, tell them to take the headphones off because you're not entitled as a footballer. You know, you've got to be there for the fans because the fans have travelled all the way from Wigan to Bristol and eventually just watched you get thumped 4-1. So yeah, mentality and that kind of thing needs to be a lot better than, than what it is. I wasn't necessarily saying they weren't putting full effort in before, but if something's not right, it's hard to concentrate. You know, all of us that have normal day jobs, something's not right. It's harder to concentrate than if, you know, if you can completely forget about everything and just get on with what we're doing, what you're doing. It's a difficult situation, isn't it? Because what you don't want is you don't want anybody down in tools. You want everybody as motivated as possible. If you're going to impose minimum standards, you're going to have to impose the punishment that comes with not meeting those minimum standards. If you've been fined or you've been disciplined, suck it up, get on with it and do a good job on Saturday. I think, I think that's it. It's just like, I think, are we making too much of this? Is it something that happens a lot of times when we don't hear about it? It's just because Sean Malone is so open and honest when he's asked a question, he gives an answer. Other managers would have probably just brushed that off and, and come up with a, oh, it's tactics or whatever, you know. But he's been honest. He said it. So, so all of a sudden, all the fans, are, you know, the, the rumour mill starts going. And it's probably just nothing, really. Sometimes it's just genuine mistakes. But because you're not following procedure to the letter, you get done. Steve Yumpf is a big enough lad anyway where to take it on the chin, isn't it? Let's face it, if we'd have won 4-1, nobody would have given two hoops. Absolutely spot on, Paul. Right, don't get carried away. Highs and lows perspective. We're not the worst team in the world. We're certainly not the best team. We know this season's what it's going to be. Mid-table obscurity with hopefully a good run in the, not the pizza trophy, whatever it's called this season. That's what we all said we'd, we'd be hoping for. To be honest with you, looking at the way things are going, I think that's that's possibly what's going to be served on the table. So let's just enjoy the season. Fair warning for Saturday, the fan zone is going to be indoors this week. It's going to move into the south stand, the supporters club. Gregor Riok is going to be in there, along with uh, the new academy manager, Jake Campbell, for a bit of a chat. More on that on Wednesday. Quick look at the fixtures coming up. We've got a tasty run of fixtures. Quite a few of the teams at the top of the table come in. Portsmouth at home is the next game. That's followed by Burton and Stevenage away. Peterborough at home. Exeter away. And we finish off October with three home games on a Tuesday, Saturday and Tuesday. Oxford, Shrewsbury and Charles. I think very much that's where the season gets shaped, isn't it? Are we going to have this mid-table obscurity season or are we going to have something a bit different? You know, try and get some points out of that. I'm not going to be too disappointed if we go on a, get a couple of losses more because it's to be expected. So as long as there's points on the board, I'm all right with that. Anyway, we'll be back on Wednesday with a full preview of the Portsmouth game. So until then, it's uh, up the ticks. Come on. Up the ticks. Up the ticks. Stay positive. Stay positive.